Hey everyone, welcome to my social network. I'm excited today, we have an awesome guest for you, Julia Ayer. Julia is one of my favorite people to talk to, and I thought it was time to get her voice out to the public. And as you know, our show is so much about giving voices to people who are not always heard all the time. So I want to make sure that we get Julia on here because she's such an awesome person. So Julia is a strength conditioning coach, return to play specialist, sports psychology expert in Köln, Germany. After ending a passionate soccer career riddled with injury, Julia now directs her knowledge and experience into helping athletes to reach their maximum capacity each day. Since 2011, she has worked to promote long-term and individualized player development in NCAA Division I schools along the East Coast, USA, and in the private sector worldwide with her company, White Lion Performance. Julia also is a researcher at the German Sport University in Köln, where she studies the psychophysiology, brain-body connection, of performance, stress, and coping in athletes. For Julia, the question of how do we optimize athletic performance is always in the foreground in big flashing lights. Regardless of what she wears on any given day, her primary job is to help athletes build stronger minds, faster bodies, and ultimately become better human beings. I am so pleased to introduce to you guys, Julia Ayer. Hey, Doc. How's it going? Hey, Julia. How are you? Good, good. What's new? Oh, man. Uh, I guess quite a bit going on, but uh, it's exciting that we're doing this. Uh, really excited. I'm really excited as well, but I hope it's all good things going for you. <laughs> I, you know, things are going really well for me, and it's it's always a pleasure to get back and speak with you. So I'm excited about this. I've been looking forward to it all week. It's hilarious because I'm sure we'll talk about this, but since our last conversation, I had taken notes the whole time, and I've still gone through this month and been like, I have so much shit I haven't thought about yet. <laughs> oh, we got to talk about it on here for sure. We have to. But, uh, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, uh, Julie and I had a great conversation last time, and I totally want her to be on this podcast because uh, she's going to have the best information for sure, and uh, I'm excited. You're my first guest on my I'm podcast. I'm so excited. I'm so honored, too. <laughs> I don't we know why you chose me of all the thousands of people you've spoken to, but I'm grateful. You know, I think it was, uh, I'm, I'm a big connection or feel guy. And I felt, man, there was some real synergy. And then I was thinking about, you know, my podcast and thinking about, you know, a social network. I wanted to be about people that needed a voice really to get out there even more. And I really connected with your story. So I wanted to get you out there first. Love it. Love it. I'm I'm pumped about your podcast. It's going to be fantastic. It's been long overdue. I know we talked about that when we chatted, but um, yeah, I think LinkedIn world's going to benefit from it big times. I've been, ever, ever since I said I was doing it, a bunch of people were like, well, it's about time. Yeah. Like, Hello? Why finally. haven't you done this before? I'm like, I don't know. I like got like 8 million other things kind of going on. Because I got two jobs and, you know, I got a you know, family. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. I got to go I to the mean, beach. I listen to a bunch of people's <laughs> podcasts. Yes, the beach. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but segue into, um, I, I was, I read that um, kind of blog post you had on your, on your site, uh, basically about, you know, or is it a search engine for your job or are you actually nurturing 
people in your network. And I saw the whole thing with Game of Thrones and I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, first I got to say that I'm really pissed about how Game of Thrones ended. So I'm hoping the Game of, of Phones at least goes better. <laughs> I never, I told you before, I never watched one episode. I just was like, I'm, Good. I'm out the whole way. I can't even get in. It's too much time to get back into it, you know, type of thing. So, so I, I had surgery in 2016 and I was like, let me see what everybody's whining about. And I just yeah. binged the whole series because I was in bed for like eight days. I was like, well, yeah. let me watch, you know, six years of this. And man, <laughs> it was way too much. I slept through half of it, but I got the main idea. And now this season, they just basically blew up the entire series. So it was kind of like, why really? did I start this? <laughs> like, I why? from friends of mine that it wasn't that good. Like, no, it was bad. It was really bad. Really? Why was it bad? They're just trying to wrap it up or something? Um, they killed off all the main characters and then basically made like the people that we hate, like the Kings in the end. And it didn't even make sense. It was like, somebody tweeted, huh. somebody tweeted, it's when you put your name on the group project, sleep through the whole thing and then still get that A. That's basically what it was. <laughs> so, but whatever. Wow. Yeah, sure. Sure. We won't well, sleep through anything here. So no, no, there's no sleeping through this. This is interesting stuff. So did we want to start Skype? No, man, I think we're good. Okay, we're perfect. We're pretty good here. I mean, um, uh, as you know, it's funny, I think, for our listeners is, you know, I want this show to be pretty unscripted and just we're chatting and there's mm-hmm. no lie, man. Anchor, I, I like it so far, but it's a little glitchy sometimes. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we got Skype on backup just in case. But the good thing I do like is there's lots of ways to take, you know, little pieces of audio and change it around. So even if we just had this short segment, I would totally use it. Yeah, and for sure. In for something. So, so far, so good. You know? Good. Well, if we need to start Skype, let me know. Um, I'm happy to do that. I yeah, got everything open. So Game of Phones, tell me about that. I want to know a little bit how that came about. Yeah, so my cousin is brilliant. This is what I wrote in my blog post, so I'll try to do <laughs> yes. really fast with it. But my cousin is, um, he's a startup entrepreneur, a, a tech genius, lived lived somewhere between Silicon Valley and New York City, where all the smart people live. Um, right. Besides right. you. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm in I'm in Washington. That's not Tech City. <laughs> no, no, it's Beach City. <laughs> um, yeah. Relax City. Um, yep. He's brilliant. And when I started turning White Lion from a one-on-one coaching scenario, and we wanted to scale into more of a consulting business, um, he was the first person I went to because he started so many companies and has had so much success in networking with people and in sales, and never had had issues with that. And I'm kind of like our families quirky like semi-introvert intellectual kind um, and, and he is just like brilliant but also vivacious and he's kind of like an actor and so I figured he would be the person to ask and he loves sales he can sell you know yeah. like a he can sell you a coin and you pay five times that much and <laughs> yeah. you're like thanks so much and he was like <laughs> you can't treat your conversations like like a job advertisement like you can't go in and pitch somebody or you can't go in with the expectation that you're going to just go in and have a conversation with somebody um, and make it a hundred percent about them, you know, see if you can provide value to them in some way. And then they'll always somehow, well, 80% of the time they'll bring it back to you because right. people enjoy talking about themselves, but eventually, you know, we know about ourselves. So like, it's kind of tiring and we turn it around. He was like, it's not about the job. Like the job will come, but have some conversations with people. Um, and so that's when it started. And it was just kind of, like six months of very intense, very strictly scheduled blocks of phone conversations. Um, 
whether it was per Skype, which I find super interesting to be able to kind of look people in the eyes, even if it's through the screen or just over the phone yeah. or just even over voice message. Sometimes we would have to do if we were in different time zones. But in a couple of weeks, I would talk to people in like Singapore, Australia, um, Hawaii, the States, Ireland, like Russia, like all over the world. I talked to somebody in South Africa and Kenya. Like, it's just amazing the the reach that we have that social media and the internet give us. Um, so yeah, that was our, our game of phones. And I was on a lot of caffeine during those months. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was so valuable. It's like, yeah, it's one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. I can truly say that. Don't tell myself well, I, that. I can tell you that uh, I, I immediately connected with the whole game of phones. I mean, I mean, I never watched game of Thrones, but I just thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. the title of it and i was like I, i'm basically doing the same thing yeah doing game of phones and i was like oh i have to share this you know and i'm not a big like sharer of stuff it's funny i talk to a lot of people but i i don't share a lot of stuff yeah and i'm like oh i gotta share this this is g this is like me wrapped up in the whole thing you know well and the thing is in game of thrones which unfortunately i do watch and i did watch the finale <laughs> as we said earlier um you know, the theme of that is in the Game of Thrones, you either win or die. And for me in the mm. Game of Phones, it's kind of what it's kind of playing out what I've always believed, which is essentially if one of us wins, we all do. And I want us all to win. And so when you connect with somebody, you literally can't lose for that. You will still take something away from it. Like you, you and I have discussed the terrible conversations that we've had with people. <laughs> and sometimes it's just like, oh, you don't learn anything from them, but you do learn something about yourself. Like how to deal with that situation, how to knock it in, how to read somebody, how to knock it into that again, et cetera. Um, you always learn something. It's never a, a complete waste of time. Um, yeah. And no, so we all I win. Think, yeah, of course. I think I've had many amazing conversations with people through my connections throughout the years. And I've had some ones that were like, that was a good one off. You know, it was, it was nice enough. And then a couple, I was like, well, this is not great. and i'm hoping everybody that is on the show is you know i'm not gonna be pulling teeth here (laughs) yeah but we got some amazing people coming through for the first like two months already it's gonna be popping and uh i'm excited you're starting off so you know i wanted to for our listeners just to understand a little bit about your background i think your background's pretty amazing and i think we connected on that you know collegiate athletes and in Germany, there's a lot of ties that we have together, but love to hear your background a little bit more for our listeners and, you know, where you grew up and, and your life's journey leading up to White Lion performance. I think we actually connected because I was talking some trash on your school. but <laughs> It could have been. Yeah, yeah. Good. I went to James Madison. Okay, guys, it's good school, just so you know. And I went to George Mason, which makes JMU and GMU are supposedly arch rivals. So. It's okay. George Mason's just an okay school, just so everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. And it's so, all right. And Madison is, like I said, some trash. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> um, no, so, yeah, we did connect over being athletes. Um, and we got on the phone really fast, actually. Um, yeah. you, we talked to the chats like let's do it next week here we go um, yeah, but yeah I, I grew up somewhere across the Atlantic Ocean between the east coast of the US and, and Germany um, the anxiety accent comes out here and there it depends on how tired I am but I think I'm doing alright <laughs> you're doing fine um, yeah so I grew up to, to German parents um, as I said the East Coast, so between North Carolina, D.C., all around in that area. I went to school in D.C. 
Um, I went to school at George Mason. Soccer is the love of my life. Um, it was my privilege to be able to be a college athlete, even though it was short. Um, career ended early due to some pretty bad injuries. Um, and <laughs> as was a shock for me as a German, um, but won't be shocking to many of your listeners, um, the U.S. tuition system is very interesting. So I went to work <laughs> instead of playing yeah, soccer. Yeah. Um, that led me into strength and conditioning. Um, which then led me into return to play as I struggled really bad with my niches after leaving soccer um, and wanted to be able to help at other athletes. So became a strength coach, became a return to play or rehab specialist in that area. And then I realized, hey, athletic performance is certainly not just physical. Um, the, the brain is so interesting to me. So I studied psychology and sports science in the States. Then I came back over here um, got my master's in sports psychology, and now I'm a researcher um, at the German Sport University of Cologne. But I'm sure you already read my, my bio. Those are the logistics, kind of boring. Now I run a consulting and coaching company, White Lion, and we basically make soccer players holistically better and consult with companies to, to holistically develop their athletes as athletes, but also as, as good human beings. So, yeah. Everybody, that's basically what it says on her website. It's pretty. It's a pretty good summation of it. And I did read Julia's bio ahead of time, which uh, I thought, you know, for me, I thought on his podcast, I don't, I don't want to like just read somebody's bio as soon as I got on. I'm like, okay, Julia, I want you to wait, and I'm going to read your bio while you sit there and listen to me read, you, you know, what you're about and stuff. I'm like, I'm going to record <laughs> it ahead of time as a pre-segment, and then we could just jump on and start talking casually, you know, type of thing. We always do. So that's you know because that's all my conversations. They're very casual. We get on. We're like, hey, I've never met you. Let's just chat, you know. And I mean, I've met you before, but I think a lot of my conversations are like, hey, I don't know you from anything, and just wanted to feel natural. But uh, that's definitely. Um, I was always interested in like you know you're kind of bouncing from Germany to the U.S. What do you what do you think is the difference between school in the United States versus uh, Germany. And I, I didn't do both in terms of college, you know, my um, master's degree and stuff, but in terms of general, what's the approach that you think is maybe different? Um, our schooling is more focused in that we don't have as many gen eds. Like, of course, in the States, you got your one and a half to two years of gen ed credits. Mm -hmm. So you get that well-rounded theoretically education, which again, if you're paying for school, you're sitting there being like, this is a waste of time. But something about paying for school for most of us means we get through school faster. So here, even though we have three years of strictly in your, like your subject area that you're working on in your bachelor or two years in your master, people tend to take a lot longer because it's free. There's lots of perks to being a student. Whereas in the States, it's like, I got to get done and make money. Right. Um, so that is definitely a big difference that I've noticed. Is there uh do you have a preference for either or did, where is it like, you know, there was great things and maybe not some great things about both situations. I mean, I would have loved not to have student loans. <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> um, I was really, I think I got the golden ticket because um, especially working in women's soccer and having been a, a female soccer player, like, and growing up in the boom of Germany and America's women's soccer booms, that was literally the best of yeah. both worlds for me. I got to play. A little bit earlier on, uh, I won't age myself too much. <laughs> just kidding. Why not? I, I'm young. young. What are you talking about? I'm young. <laughs> um, but before, it was so highly competitive that there was no chance for me to put my foot on the ball in school. Um, mm. So, yeah, I definitely got lucky having a good mix of both. I can't, I can't complain at all. Well, you know what's interesting? I was uh, 
you know, one of my motivations for starting a podcast is I had listened to so many podcasts about very different and interesting conversations. Although, you know, we're both in health and wellness sport. I love to talk to people about things that have nothing to do with that in general. And I think it's interesting you brought up about the student loan. That is, I was listening to a really good podcast on Freakonomics, and it was about how to eliminate kind of the the messed up tuition system in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. And I think Purdue University is basically testing this system where students go to school for free. And when they get a job, a good paying job, I don't know the criteria for that, but they basically pay back like three to 5% of their salary every year for like three or four years to help pay to pay for this education that they had. Wow. So they don't have student loan debt. And unlike student loan debt, where if you declare bankruptcy that they don't forgive that you still have that. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you're burdened with the rest of your life for it. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. And I really hope that uh, more colleges uh, get to that program. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting here in Germany, because we basically have a stacked system where obviously everybody tries to play the system if there's a clear benefit to it. Mm-hmm. So here in that case, it's um, that in college, you hardly have to pay any taxes because mm-hmm. you don't have to work that much. Um, it's considered your full-time job. So you have, you know, 50% of your health insurance, you have 50% of all your other taxes, you have, you know, cheap housing, all this different stuff. So people stay students for a long time because as soon as you get out to the workforce, <laughs> you pay for that for what, 20, 30 years. And then when you retire, yeah. you get those benefits again. So people try and stay students for essentially 10 years. Lifelong students. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, now I only have to do this trash for 15 years and then I get it again. So it's like, no, go get out there and hustle and make your money. And I think that was the American mindset that was definitely instilled in me from a young age. Just get it done and go build something and create something because it's hard yeah. to do that with, with, a, with a study program on your back. Right, right. Tell me a little bit about your parents and your upbringing, you know, German parents. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up partially in Germany. I was there for a couple, a couple of times. My dad was stationed here. So two, three year stints each time, but I don't have German parents, but I, I'm interested in how, how your parents shaped your life and, and your behavior uh, as an adult. I think it's so funny how we have, um, so many similarities in our stories. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like switched around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, small world. Um, yeah, so German parents are stereotypes. I can say that. Um, they're punctual. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Um, totally. You know, it's just, that is what it is. You always bring a gift whenever you go visit somebody. <laughs> yeah, there's always food around the house. Yes, you can have your friends over, um, but you have to make sure that you feed them and they have to be gone by this and this time. You know, my parents had a, a rule book and you memorized it. <laughs> or else you got uh, that ass <laughs> no really an actual no, rule book no no it was just you know oh, okay. you had a pretty good idea that that I, I always grew up knowing that my parents had more rules than everybody else did like, oh I see um but I think in many ways that was beneficial because we had discipline we had expectations and we were very aware of the standards um mm. that we had um to some extent like for me <laughs> I'm the, we always say I'm the soft one in our family I tend to, I tend to be a little bit more, um, yes, sensitive to expectations. Like I get very Uh stressed out with external, um, or I used to get very stressed out with external expectation. And so I really struggled, um, in high school with, and also in sport with like this expectation of, you know, this is our standard. And if you fall below the standard, 
that's a problem. And right. <laughs> it would wreck my life to, to have my parents be like, oh, we're disappointed in you. So <laughs> that's so funny how that translates to how I coach my athletes now. I would never, ever say I'm disappointed. I'm always proud of them. Um, but they also learn what tough love is and that we have a quality standard. Um, with the expectation, I expect them to uphold that to the, to the fullest degree. Um, but I would never come back and basically shame them for not doing it. I would just tell them that I expect better of them and I know they're capable of it. Um, so we always carry that stuff with us. Yeah. How does that translate into your personal life outside of coaching athletes? <laughs> I'm still young. <laughs> These are the hard hitting questions and you're going to get older, you know. <laughs> I know. Um, I figure that's why it's a good thing that I started therapy young. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, um, I think, I don't know if anybody got through childhood fully unscathed. I definitely mm. have, have a, a thing for structure. Luckily I'm in Germany now, so I think that suits me, but in the States <laughs> it would be a different story. <laughs> the German structure. <laughs> be like, here's the time, here's the time clock. Here's the rule books. Everybody looking yeah. at me like you're out of pocket. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have some German friends and they're all about punctuality. They're like, and you know, it's funny, you know, I'm the same way. I'm hugely into punctuality. I'm calling people early. I'm there early. I don't, you know, I, I didn't have German parents, but I was in a military family. So kind of similar with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Discipline to some extent or discipline. professionalism. Yeah. Yeah. Now remember, I called our first Skype meeting. I called you on the dot as you were getting ready to call yeah. me. You did one of my things. I do that to people, and I think they're like very thrown off by it because uh, they're not used to. They're like, oh, you know, calls at ten. I call you at ten o three, ten o five, maybe ten ten. Got caught up, and uh, yeah, I don't no, play that. No, no, I don't do that. We said ten. When the clock turns to ten. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That hand's on the dial, whatever. I'm like pushing the buttons as I'm watching the iPhone clock go from 9.59. I'm like, when's it going to 10? When's it going to 10? <laughs> You're me. <laughs> All right. That sounds, I know it sounds weird, everybody, but that's sorry. Don't judge us. It's just how we are. I think that has a lot to do with growing, with being in a, prof well, being a student athlete, because I don't know what you guys did, but we ran laps if we were late. Um, and then. I was a runner, so all I did was run. You know, yeah, well, all you did was run laps. That's true. <laughs> all, all the soccer players with like 25% body fat, we were like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. No. Not at 5 a.m., no, sir. <laughs> it's funny, but soccer players, there's a lot of running during soccer games, right? I mean, it's, like, yeah, but it's sprinting. And when you talk about slow, steady oh, state, okay. it's like, mm. <laughs> What do you think, think the big difference is between – you know, we're, we're former athletes, basically, or collegiate athletes. And, you know, I know a lot of people who, uh, well, most people I know were not athletes, actually. They're in, fit they're in the fitness business, but they were never like, like an athlete at a very high competitive level and stuff. So what do you think the difference is between uh, people who have been in that, you know, very high-end, very strict, you know, constant working athletic environment versus people who are not used to that? That's a good question. I think um, high performers tend to be more self-aware, I think, personally, mm. people who really make it to the top. I mean, there's definitely people who can make it to the top on talent alone and be, yeah. you know, like terrible human beings. But to some extent, mm -hmm. they're aware of how talented they are and they might be egotistical about it. But I think all high performers have some level of self-awareness. I think some of us that translated into being 
very disciplined and professional, like we were just talking about with punctuality and, yeah. and scheduling and whatnot also helps that we've worked in businesses that require you to be punctual and have appointments, like a strict a set schedule. But um, I think that we have that body awareness um, and a natural awareness of other people's emotions and movements in some sense mm. that a lot of other people don't get just from like daily life. Like we're certainly not taught awareness in school. I personally right. wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would you say? I would say that um, I think the biggest difference is early in life, getting on a very rigid schedule, like mm. lots of structure very early in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember so distinctly, I didn't live with athletes when I was in college. I know a lot of athletes live with each other when they're on athletic teams in college. And uh, I chose purposely not to do that because I wanted to be around other people who weren't athletes and see how they were living in comparison to my life, which was very rigid, <clears throat> very structured. I couldn't choose, really choose my class times. They had to be all 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. because of practice and stuff. And what I learned was that, uh, you know, actually, I had a lot of really good friends who were very disciplined, but I learned they had so much time on their hands, yeah. like crazy amounts of time. And I had like no time yeah. on my hands. And I was like hustling to constantly like I'm doing I'm studying for my biology test while I'm cooling down after practice or, have a, you know, I'm in the athletic training room and I'm, I'm, I'm eating at the mess hall and I'm trying to like ingest, you know, notes that I took early in the day and everybody else just seemed to be chilling and playing video games or doing something mm-hmm. or nothing. And I just I felt like I was like, man, I have a heads up here. I have a lot of discipline. This is going to take me far in life. And uh, I knew I knew how to discipline myself after my running days were over. But I also know that that's also kind of the opposite that I know a lot of athletes is after they're done striving for that goal of on the court, in the sand or on the track, wherever it may be in the pool, that they don't know how to structure their lives anymore because somebody was giving them structure and they were like, what do I do? What am I striving for now? My, yeah. my day is so free. So. Did you ever have an experience with that? Or do you have athletes that, or you've talked in the past, like, man, after the, after the, you know, experience is over, what do I do? You know, I think that's so interesting in the sense of, yes, I've absolutely um, seen others experience that. And that, that um, was missing for me a bit as well when I left, because I left um, sports very abruptly, um, again, due to injury. But a lot of athletes and myself included, we looked at it, at our lives afterwards, we were like, okay, what did we do this for? You know, that <laughs> short mental breakdown you get when you realize it's not there anymore. <laughs> Very short. And then you think, yes. ah, I never learned how to train myself. Like, do I just go back and repeat all this workout? Like, what do I do now that I'm not a <laughs> soccer player? Like, like I always had built-in conditioning because we ran so much in, yeah. in training if we had two hours of practice. And, you know, I left it according to the strength coach's schedule. So I knew some about that. So for me, as I became a strength coach, you know, I learned all of those stuff, those, those things and was able to relearn um, what I needed and how to help other athletes. But I see athletes call, come out of sport quite regularly and be like, okay, what now? <laughs> like what's happening? What's happening? Um, yeah. Cause we just didn't think to pay attention to that in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> it's kind of a means to an end, you know, as uh, fitness and wellness is kind of uh, just a means of an end to, getting better, getting stronger, getting faster, winning, competing. 
and not necessarily for the health benefits of it. And so, yeah, I'm, I definitely knew so many athletes that, uh, you know, when I was a collegiate athlete, all of my, all of my teammates were like in incredible condition. I mean, you, you, you know, you're in this very hyper athletic environment where everybody looks amazing and mm-hmm. they're working hard, but, but not everybody's into that. They, that they're not into like taking care of themselves. It's just a byproduct of, competing better and doing better and then once they stop it was like oh i don't really know like you said i don't know how to train myself i just coach said run and i ran and this is the time and these are the drills we're doing but you you're like a robot in some level Mm -hmm. you know you're being your brain wasn't in it your brain's not you're not freely thinking about it you're just like this is the directive let me type it into your computer and now hit enter and you do this Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's so true. Do you think um, that part of that awareness that we've gained as athletes it seemed kind of like you, what you were saying? Part of that awareness we had as athletes was realizing what we needed in order to perform optimally. Like you and I have talked about sleep before as regeneration, yeah. for example. Like, mm-hmm. was that part of it? Like, we have grown all these things because we knew we needed this much sleep. We knew we needed to eat this, this, that, and the other thing. Well, theoretically speaking, I ate everything in that mess hall. <laughs> I was eating everything as a cafeteria. I was so hungry. <laughs> Me too. But, uh, but learning, you know, when to go to bed at night, things of that nature. Do you think we learned more about how to make ourselves perform and we have more awareness of that than people who weren't maybe um, collegiate athletes? Yes, I, I think so. And, you know, it's, I think there's some level of you have to pay attention during the time on some level. And sometimes that can be hard when you're so young. But mm-hmm. I know for me, like, I, I wanted to be the best athlete I could. So I, I slept eight hours every night. I made sure that I always did all the things coach asked me to do. I mean, nutritional-wise, I was just eating everything, literally. But mm-hmm. I was, you know, making sure back then I was icing a ton and stuff. But I didn't question it. You know, I just was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, strength and conditioning coach says, we're going to be doing these Olympic lifts and this and that. And I was like, okay, you know, we're going to be doing this. Teach me that. But I, I think, hopefully, I think it gives you a good springboard towards, you know, kind of life aggressiveness and getting things done. I know for me, it just accentuated my personality. I was always, I was like the weird 16-year-old guy. I was very driven, very organized, very neat. And uh, it just lit a further fire under me. And for some people was like, man, that's over with. I'm going to eat Cheetos every day. I'm not working out ever again. Um, You know, it just depends, I think, you know. Okay. I have another question. You can totally cut this out if you find it inappropriate for any reason or aren't comfortable answering it. You know how I am. I always have like a range of good. This is good stuff. Um, Do you feel like there's an a higher expectation on you or a lower expectation on you as a black man to succeed and succeed and achieve in the collegiate setting. I know you mentioned that in track and field, there are a lot of, I believe, I, I believe you said most of your colleagues and teammates were black as well, yeah, yeah. but do you feel like, or did you notice that there was a higher or lower or was it the same kind of as, as all the other athletes on you? Um, as a black man to succeed in the collegiate setting and in athletics? I think it was a um, good question. Um, I think it was interesting. Like, uh, I think this is an interesting story. Um, I think you get people, you know, you get um, black people from all different backgrounds on teams and stuff. And, you know, uh, a, a sprint 
team in track and field is much like an NBA basketball team, NBA basketball, or the NBA in general, it's predominantly um, comprised of uh, black people <clears throat> on the team. And so that brings an interesting dichotomy in the sense that um, you're getting uh, black and brown people from all parts of the country and uh, different cultures and lifestyles and you're bringing them together, but you're all keenly aware of being black still mm -hmm. in, that, in that environment. And I don't know that we had higher expectations in there, but I thought it was the behavior element, which was very interesting. <clears throat> so I'll tell you this, which I, I mean, I think is good for the podcast. And I know when I talk to people, they're extremely unaware of what's going on in different cultures because you're insulated in your own environment a lot of times. And we love but, to be selfish. Yeah. I mean, we were all about ourselves, but our coach, he it was, a, it was a white gentleman and he had been the coach for JNU forever. Mm -hmm. And he had noticed one day that a lot of our, a lot of the teammates they had were from more of like uh, either rural places or um, kind of your inner city, stuff like that. And they used to, used to N-word all the time, like constantly during practice. And then my coach noticed that I never said that. That was never a thing in my family, ever. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, this is a terrible thing to say, you know, represents, you know, horrendous history of slavery and stuff like that. So I, it just wasn't a thing in my family. But the people on my team, they literally said it constantly. It's like every other word. And so my coach comes to me. He's like, Darian, why don't you say speak like them? I was like, well, just because we're black doesn't mean we have to we talk the same, you know, mm -hmm. and we're not from different areas. And I said, I guarantee you, they grow up hearing that word amongst their friends, their family, and it, they normalized it. And so um, one day, coach comes out to practice. And well, he asked me because I was the captain of the team. He said, what do you think if I go out and I have this discussion with the team? Because it kind of makes me uncomfortable that they're saying it all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think you should. I said, we shouldn't be afraid to have these conversations with each other. That's how things change for it. And so he came out and talked about it. And we had a really good discussion about why um, people are using it on the, you know, on the team. And I don't remember that it stopped so much, but it did curb a little bit. I think it's what you're exposed to, but I think the expectations are different in the black community among other black people. Like for me, my teammates always nominated me for the Arthur Ashe Award every year. And I won it mm -hmm. twice while I was in college. And I remember some of my teammates who weren't from some of the best backgrounds, they said, you represent what we should be, what we should mm -hmm. become as a people. And that was like very heavy for me to heal here when I was in college that yeah, no, no pressure. Yeah, no <laughs> pressure, right? These guys my age saw me as what we could be. And and I said, wow, because they're not used, they weren't used to seeing somebody maybe like me. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like I'm the best. I'm just saying they had never really come in contact maybe with someone like myself who kind of lived in a, in a, in a more of a, you know, upper middle class existence as a black family. They hadn't really seen that before so much. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there were there's an expectation on that level. It's kind of a long-winded way of answering that, I guess. No, I love that answer. I love that story. It's just different, uh, you know. It's uh, there's a lot of that, and but then it was funny. Like all the all the distance runners were predominantly white, so you had this like really strange mixture in the locker room of like it was like one side is black, the other side is white, and then everybody's connecting to each other and, and telling jokes based off of ethnicity it was a weird time i thought you know i mean 
I mean, we're ashy, and the Mayos were over here with, like, the slow twitch muscles. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the five-miler sounds good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Just different. Um, yeah. I mean. Did you guys ever have any, like, different, like, so this is, I think, an interesting topic, and I think a lot of the listeners, if, unless you were on a team, you wouldn't really know about this, but, like, different sports have, like, different, like, weird, like, rituals or, mm-hmm. like, seasonal like things they did for like like you know like hockey players would grow a beard during the playoffs or something distance runners at least at our school they would grow, they would have like a mustache month and they would grow a mustache and it just like weird stuff did you guys have <laughs> like different rituals and soccer and things you did during the season so <laughs> for my team my and I was the captain of my freshman um JV team in in mm-hmm. high school and when we made um we're playing the state championships and then the regional championships. And we said, all right, from, from states to regionals, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to shave our legs. until <laughs> we get kicked out or we win. <laughs> and yeah, I, as the captain was like, all right, we're two weeks in. I really hope we get kicked out. Cause that's disgusting. <laughs> uh, we won that year. So that was really tough for me in the middle of summer. <laughs> Cause it was, it was spring ball. Um, by the time we got into to June, it was kind of like, all right, listen. <laughs> um, what, about, what about you guys? What did you have? You know, the, the sprinters didn't do anything. We literally were like, these people are nuts. They're, they're always doing these weird challenges every, uh, every like other week. You know, it's like hat day or it was like mustache month or weird, weird cleaning practices, whatever, you know. And uh, we were just like, this is strange. You know, like, let's just chill, you know, let's go out there. But I also think that on a more serious note that a lot of the distance runners, and again, I, I'm not sure if this is prevalent among all things, but, you know, when I was, you know, as an athlete, I traveled all around the country competing and I felt like the distance runners were way more passionate about being runners than sprinters. Sprinters hmm. don't care that much about running. They care about winning and they care about going fast, but like, you know, they're not trying to go for an easy 10 mile run you know yeah Whereas the distance runners they were running regardless of whether they had to do it for practice or it was just fun for them sprinters aren't just sprinting for no reason they're like i'm not just gonna go out and run fast for no reason is there a race <laughs> and the distance runners were like oh man i just love running i, I want to go for a 20 mile run today it's amazing to run i'm like no gross i can't relate <laughs> why are you doing that that's that's foolish to me <laughs> but, i know everything i write at home like I don't want to compete, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I wonder what that has to do with athlete identity, like how we, um, how that manifests with each of us in the context, in whatever context we have. Like for me, being a soccer player was definitely everything to me. That was like my identifying factor. You know, I'm Julia. I play soccer. (laughs) Like this is just how it goes. Uh, I looked like I did. I smelled like I did, et cetera, in (laughs) high school. You know, it just was what it was. I was always in the gear, whatever. Were you like that as well or not quite so much? Uh, In high school, I think I was. I was definitely more like that, more because I didn't like high school. So I Hmm. wanted to latch on to something that was more of an identity in college, even though I was a collegiate athlete, you know, and um, a lot of people, like when you're an athlete in a classroom in college, I always felt like the other students were like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, mm-hmm. are you going to school for free? Like, when's your meet? Or, you know, what's this? <laughs> and that? Wow, you're having a whole different lifestyle. I'm like, I actually am having a whole different lifestyle than you. But 
Y'all are lazy. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are you doing, man? You had like, how, what are you doing? You know, but I, in college, I made a very concerted effort. Like I said, I didn't live with athletes to branch out into other things. And actually when I was in college, I spent a lot of time writing books. I wrote three poetry books when I was in college. Wow. And I got them published and I wanted to be more known as more than just a jock. Mm-hmm. And uh, I rarely hung out with the people on my team, not because they were bad people. I thought they were really nice people. It just that uh, I felt like that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be athletes. And, and for me, being an athlete was just something I did. And it wasn't like everything to me. I was always exploring other things that I wanted to do with my life. And I knew it was going to end. And uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to be an Olympic athlete. So I was like, OK, where is this going? And I want to be a more well-rounded person in life. That's awesome. The fact that you just had that view. I mean, I have immense respect for how you're so forward thinking anyway, but just that you had it that young, (laughs) you don't see that that often. Well, it was, it was weird though, because as a young person, it doesn't always make you a popular person having that approach. I can Um, imagine. Because it's when people are, you know, when you're 18 to 22, that's not always like, why are you being so responsible? Like what, 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 you know, what's the deal with that? Why don't you go out and do this? I didn't go out at all. I didn't party, but I made up for it in my thirties. I tell you that right now. I mean, I went nuts and to some extent I'm still doing that. And uh, that's just the honest truth. You know, I wanted to wait till a little later to start hanging out and doing even more things and just ripping it up and tearing it apart. You know, I think um, once your bank account has a certain number and it's not loaned to you, I think it's fair. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> once you got a little bulk in there and it's not directly from you know like u.s credit union or whatever it's based yeah yeah. You know? yeah exactly exactly so i just yeah you know, I'm, it, was, it was a different experience for me i think on that level i think some of us take a little longer than others as soon as i i lost sport i was the same way um it was yeah. like okay time to really reel this in and and get this show on the road because um yeah let's get what we need to get done done and then save the fun for the after hours in a responsible way, semi-responsible. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, this last decade, I'm 41 now. I'm going to say 30 to 40. It was a, I was a real degenerate during that time. Like, <laughs> but you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't, like, know it and be like, oh, man, look at him. He looks like he's just partied way too much. Nuts. I think it was like I was like going to bed early, but, you know, I'm, gonna ha- I'm a happy hour type of guy. I'm going to hit it hard during happy hour. Listen, I've fallen down many a times throughout the years, <laughs> and uh, I don't care. I'll share it, man. I'm a real person. It's happened. That's why I don't have tequila anymore. It uh, <laughs> makes me fall down. It just does. <laughs> so you got your PhD, basically, and you're like, okay, listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bottles are coming unscrewed, and so am I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, uh, I just started hanging out and met some great people. And who I have great friendships with, they fly up to see me in Washington, and I go down to Vegas, fly down there, and we, we still hit it really hard. In fact, like June 1st and 2nd, I'm going super hard with my buddies in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And uh, my motto is, you know, it may not be drinking and all this stuff, but, you know, if you're going to spend time with people, make it the best time. Have a good yeah. time. Enjoy yourself. Actually and, be there uh, for it. <laughs> be there for it. Be present. And uh, yeah just happened for us it's you know beer and some shots and you know all that stuff you know I think um that's so interesting because I see high performers kind of going one of two ways Mm -hmm. 
well, one of three ways, maybe I should say. We, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, two ways, and then you've offered a third solution, essentially. Offering. So, yeah. essentially, the high performer who goes so, you know, 100% balls to the wall and then is perfectionistic for the rest of their life until we hit, you know, burnout phase, basically. Right. Then the high performer who works really hard for a little bit and was like, yeah, I don't want to do this, and then kind of falls off because they realized they were just performing for other people's expectations or they just wanted to achieve or whatever. And they're like, I just kind of want to be a degenerate. Like, let me yeah. go work at Walmart. Who cares? Sure. And you're essentially offering this hustle really hard for a decade and a half and then do your work a hundred percent while you're in it. And then do your fun and play a hundred percent while you're in that and do your family a hundred percent while you're in that. So like yeah. do it, but go a hundred percent on the balance and not just like, I'm told I had to do work-life balance. So like, I'm here, but I'm not like, go there and be there and do it. Like be a high performing drunk. Who cares? Whatever. You know, I mean, uh, you know, this work-life balance thing is an interesting topic. It's become huge in society. I think over the last five years or so. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what to think about it because I think like, well, I mean, there, you can chill, you can chill too much. Yep. You can do too little, you could drink too much, you can do whatever. And I think for me, it's always been like, okay, like when I go out with my friends, there's a plan. Like we don't just go out and like, well, we'll see whatever, you know, like there's a plan like, hey, we're going to start at three, we're going to end at like 830. We're going to make sure we have our Ubers lined up at this time. Like it's like a very high performing, degenerate, degenerate program, you know, it's like, hey, like, hey, we're going to rip it between these hours. And then we're, we're calling it off and everybody's going to get eight to nine hours of sleep. That's how it goes. That's what we do. <laughs> and that's literally what we talk about. And it's the funniest thing because, you know, if you saw us walking around in Vegas and we're partying, you're like, man, these guys are going crazy. You're going to be up to like three, four in the morning. We're like, no, you're going to be out to three, four in the morning. I'll be asleep during that time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have a conference next week. It's our national um, sports psychology conference here in Germany. It's in Leipzig, which is, East Germany, like the cap, it's yeah. kind of like Vegas for the degenerates, for the hipsters, <laughs> I guess you would say. It's it's uh-huh. pretty tough out here in in the Leipzig streets, Straßen. Um, <laughs> Leipzig streets. <laughs> it's pretty rough. There's a lot of barefoot people with a lot of hair. And, oh uh, wow! Clothes from like Goodwill and whatever. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um. But yeah, that's that's kind of been our plan as well. It's like all right, so the conference ends at three. Let's do this the adult way. From four to nine, we're going to drink. We're going to start day drinking, right? And then do, like, it's four o'clock somewhere. We're just going to do it that way. And then we're getting into the bed and going to sleep because we got to be up and at the conference at eight o'clock. So, like, do it the adult way, right? Adulthood is a scam anyway, so we might as well enjoy. (laughs) Exactly. You know what that is? That is, in your generation, the millennials, they call that adulting. Yeah. They call that. Uh, you know, I just call it being not being stupid. <laughs> like, like, just do like be cool. But that brings me up to kind of German culture. And again, I think it's uh, when I speak to different people on different, you know, uh, podcasts or if I'm having phone calls, um, I don't always get to speak to other German people. Uh, but um, tell me a little bit about German culture and having a good time and you know, I was exposed to growing up a little bit. It was so funny when the World Cup was going on. People were, like, going down our street uh, <laughs> in, in uh, Schwabach. And, you know, there's, like, f- torches out there. And people are, like, singing the songs and stuff. And they're drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about German culture and having a good time. Yeah. So, listen. 
we love to drink <laughs> and you're Please. welcome because you're well- thank you <laughs> we gave you so much of it um, <laughs> <laughs> we gave you quality soccer <laughs> we gave That's you true. beer we gave you pretzels St- wow. and Lido Holzen, okay so yes. no complaining um true. so yeah we have holidays dedicated to drinking like Oktoberfest, of course is yeah, in munich I've which is that. Yeah, actually in September, but it's one month long where, you know, we, everybody <laughs> knows the dances, the, the polka, the polka or folk music, as we yeah, call it. The and, taka, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, the accordions coming out, you know, and oh, all the dances and all of the drinking songs where you swing your gigantic Bierstein back and forth <laughs> and then slam it on the table and then take a uh, swig and then slam it again on the table and see how high it goes, you know. Um, oh, Okay. So, but for us, when we talk about networking, like it is going drinking, basically, if you want to, if you and I were in Germany and be like, okay, let's go have a beer and we'd probably have three beers and, and have a chat. Um, That just is, is how it goes. So a lot of things for us revolve around either business or sport. So like soccer is Mm -hmm. obviously our, our sport of choice. Um, But Either two of those things, you can get a pretty good networking conversation going. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. Now, you're funny. My, one of my best friends, his, his wife is German, and uh, they go back for five weeks every year to Germany. And he went for the first time with him. Usually he stays back. He has to work. It's a long time to be gone. And uh, he went back for five weeks this past, uh, I think it was last summer he went. And he said that it was, it was rough on him because – uh, like at least his family, the family was with, he said there was drinking, there was so much drinking, like mm. not drunk drinking, but more like it was like something to drink for breakfast, something to drink for lunch, something to drink for dinner. It was like constant beer or something. Mm-hmm. And this is adulthood. This is adulthood, <laughs> right? And then they went to this spa, they said, where there was actually beer at the spa, at, you know, at like the sauna. And he was like, this is just too much for me. <laughs> You take it down one notch. <laughs> like I need one meal without alcohol. And this is a guy like this is the guy I hang out. One of the guys I hang out with. He was like, I almost didn't want to drink anymore. He's like, and Darren, you know, for me to say that, that's crazy. <laughs> so we turn anybody into lightweights. <laughs> <laughs> but the culture of like drinking, like having something during a meal as a social aid and not to like not people are just like got getting crushed constantly no 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 definitely not it's um i mean we had wine or beer at the dinner table since i was like 14 years old we were offered it just because it just is part of the meal it just a lot of our food is based along with the drinks and it's all paired together and etc etc um it's just uh it's just what you do for us it's just culture and tradition it's not a let me hit six of these really quick um, You're not on a ca- on casual Tuesday. Like, <laughs> like, okay, dog, cool it. <laughs> well, you know, what's is funny is um, I, I did notice that when I lived there, cause I was a teenager when I lived there the second time and I was like, man, it's pretty mm-hmm. loose around here, you know? And, um, but I think it's very different because culturally I think, you know, for um, American kids, there's this kind of taboo of drinking, as a teenager, but everybody knows a lot of kids are just doing it, you know, right. they're sneaking around where it seems um, it's just, it's, it's just very um, chugging, excessive drinking culture. Um, whereas it seems like in Germany is more of a, Hey, this is, this is just part of, you know, it's an aperitif, you know, or mm-hmm. digestif, you know, type of thing. 
Exactly. Uh, it's not about, you know, going as hard as you, it's not a college drinking mentality. Like I personally in college think I ever got destroyed one time. And yeah. it was like the first Halloween that was in Washington, D.C. Do you know how that's like a legend, yeah. basically? It happens. Never did it again. Because yeah. for me, it was like, if I've been allowed to drink in my house since I was 14, it's not special to me. Yeah. Um, but it was right. so funny to me when when I came home for school the first time, I did a semester over here during um, for my research leave um, in Frankfurt. And there was a lot of American students from like Wisconsin where they always talk oh, about, yeah, all, all we do is drink, blah, blah, blah. Wow. And they thought it was so cool that here we have no laws against um, drinking in the streets. So, like, you can carry it, carry open alcohol with you in the street, and that's not illegal. It's no problem. Right. Um, and they, for like, for like two weeks, were completely destroyed. And they were then <laughs> at the end, they were like, "This is too much. <laughs> this is too much." Don't think they drank for the rest of the semester. Them and the Irish dudes. And I was like, "Aren't you guys supposed to be legendary for drinking?" Like, yeah. Yeah. Your whole liver is gone. <laughs> like it's pretty funny. Coming out of your body. So that was always hilarious. I think it's interesting the relationship people have, you know, with uh with drinking and alcohol. And I think Germans it's it's just interesting. I'm fascinated with the culture. Obviously I live there and I I have a I have a great deal of respect for it. But it's funny in American culture and drinking, it's very interesting, especially with athletes too. And it was funny, like one of my people that I'm gonna be interviewing like next week. She's she's great. I have to introduce you to her. She's awesome. Her name's Lene. And she's like, is it okay if I have a glass of wine while we have this podcast? I'm like, you listen, if you have a glass of wine, I'm going to have a beer while we're doing it, you know? Nice. Wanted, you know, man, you know what? We need to do that next time, Julia. We need to, <laughs> like... I mean, I already had a glass of wine, but... <laughs> well, you know, see, it's nighttime for you, right? For me, it's like, you know, it's like lunchtime i'm like hey i'm out here drinking uh no, no. <laughs> well let's let's do it because next time i think you'll be going to vegas right afterwards so i'll just ease you into it by we could just have a a quick drink yeah right yeah before. exactly exactly yeah. i got big plans for this podcast we're gonna be doing some interesting stuff <laughs> you know, and here's this like... craft brew and this craft brew and this kind of alcohol <laughs> yeah yeah, you're gonna see some like you're gonna listen to it. You're gonna be like, wow, there's some crazy episodes gonna be on here. Like me, and my buddies, I plan on interviewing them while we're drinking and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, awesome. It could be interesting. It could go downhill, but I think it could just be your big social club. Like everybody has a different yeah. way of socializing. So yeah, well, exploring socialization from a different angle is kind of cool. I think so. Well, you know, as I I learn when I listen to different podcasts, and I go, man, these everything's so like buttoned up. You know, and mm -hmm. it's like very polished. And I'm like, I don't really want to be that. I want to be somewhat polished, but I want people to see the real me. I like to have a good time. I'm responsible. And I want them to see the real other people that I know and to be themselves. And I think this conversation is indicative of that is, hey, we're just being ourselves. I'm not like, here's 10 questions I'm going to ask you, Julia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's why... Um... When I built White Lion, my big thing was like, I'm an ex-athlete. I know exactly what these athletes are going through, have been through, and I want to be able to relate to them. How can I do that best? Is it by being a buttoned up, I'm a consultant, I'm a psychologist, I'm a researcher? No, never. It's by showing my face on Instagram where they all look and talking about what it was yeah. like to be injured as an athlete or how I struggled with food as well as an athlete or what to do when you, you fail and you can't get it out of your mind, things like that. Like, getting down to people's level and not trying to talk down to them, you actually make real human connections. And I'd rather have three 
real connections three real conversations than just slam my thumbs against a screen all day so yeah i think that's what you're great at so oh thanks appreciate it well tell me a little bit like you know uh, people will tell you you know about their successes and stuff and they're so awesome or whatever but I want to know what you've struggled with. It was white line. What's been the toughest part about it? It's really hard to generate leads. Um, I work a lot in, in soccer. So of course I get a lot of youth athletes. I don't get a lot of male soccer players because that tends to be a very buttoned up world. Um, and I get a lot of female athletes. So when you don't have leads, you don't get paid. Um, even if you're really good at, at retaining retaining clients. I mean, eventually something's going to happen. Athletes will retire. Athletes will move this, that, and the other thing. So even though we pride ourselves in delivering an excellent service every single time, like over delivering, um, you know, things happen and you still have to generate more business. So financially we've had some tough points where just nothing new comes in, especially because female soccer players don't make much money. And it's always hard to have to turn somebody away when they're like, yo, I could probably pay 50% of that. And, you know, you want to help, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> the, those, the student loans don't pay themselves. <laughs> right, right. Um, and for me, it's definitely a downfall for me. I used to be like, yo, no big deal. We'll do it at 50%. Um, yeah. But now I have, I have staff, I have bills, and, and we can't do that anymore. We have to be a little bit more selective. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> we've talked about social media before. It's very easy to um, just show the highlight reel. So I've started on, on my Instagram page with my athletes, a hashtag post your fails. So yeah. I'll like post something really stupid that I did in the gym, like totally missing <laughs> a shot. Or the other day I, I took a shot um, and the ball hit my coffee um, and flung coffee yeah. everywhere. And I was like, well, you know, Lionel Messi, here am I, you know, and posted it, on, <laughs> posted it on Instagram, like, yeah, totally a Champions League level goal right here, um, poster fails, and got like 25 athletes doing hashtag poster fails and tagging me in it, and just being able to see people being like, this is what happens the majority of the time, <laughs> you know, you take, a, you take a video and you get 10 fails, and one of them that looks good, and the one that looks good is the one you post, like, that's right. not me. So what do you think it is with uh, kind of our current state of things where everybody is, well, I mean, I don't want to cast a wide net. I don't know, obviously, but where you, what, maybe what the perception is, is that people are just posting all of their successes all the time and they're, they're perceived happy, happy times all the time to other people. What do you think that is, where do you think that's coming from? Well, on the other side of that, I'm, I'm a researcher in psychology, and I know that we have the highest rates of depression that we've ever had, mm-hmm. and depression and anxiety. So I think there's there's got to be something, because both of these things are, are rising at the same time. Um, why are we constantly talking about how we're so happy? Um, is it to cover up insecurity? Is it to cover up the fact that we can see everybody else who's just posting their highlights real and comparing? Um, is it that we can consume so much in so little time? Is it that more things are accessible? Um, but yeah, I think, you know what? I honestly think that it is, Darian. I think that there's less of us who were raised in a way where we had to, um, we had to have that discipline. Because you and I weren't, weren't raised in the social media era. No. I mean, I was, I was a bit closer to it. It came out, I got my, Facebook became accessible, I think, when I was 15, 16, yeah. something like this. 
So it wasn't a part of my childhood. Like I wasn't waiting to get an account until I was of age. I didn't have an underage Instagram account. Like (laughs) that just wasn't a part of my life. So I had to go out and and everybody says this. I had to go out and and entertain myself like an old caveman. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But I also learned in some sense, like we saw the world before there were phones in that sense. And so we know that there's more to experience and you just got to put it down sometimes and go enjoy your life because... You can't compare. You just can't. There is right. no comparing. I think there's a huge comparison. The I mean, it's been going on for a long time. And I think like when I was growing up and and you had like, you know, maybe like Cosmopolitan magazine and women are comparing <laughs> themselves to who looks like, you know, this person, not knowing that that was airbrushed and they were made to look at their most perfect, that they don't actually mm-hmm. look like that. And throughout the course of time, people have always compared themselves, but it's been so accessible to compare each other mm-hmm. now with this incredible piece of machinery in our hands and the power to constantly look and see on those things. And, uh, yeah. and, and we talked before, you were, t- you were saying, I think it'd be interesting for people to hear about this, about like your athletes and having to get them off their phones during practice. Yeah, I have some athletes who um, who will do warm-ups and then they'll want to go check their phones really quick just in case their girlfriend or their mom texts them or something like that. And it's like, I have you for 15 minutes for warm-ups and 20 minutes maximum for athletic training afterwards. Like, you can, I promise, you can go 40 minutes, you know, 35, 40 minutes without looking at your phone and they can wait. Yeah, I don't want them to be mad at me, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're at practice. Like everybody knows you're at practice. You're an athlete. You're not supposed to be accessible 24 seven. And I think the anxiety of, I need to check my phone. I need to check my phone is something that's not going to leave us as a generation entirely unscathed. Yeah, Um, I I would agree with that. I think there's a, there's a real issue with it, but it's funny is because like even thinking about how do you use the technology? I think, you know, now it used to be you, could not produce a podcast or some show, a radio show or something without having a lot of money. You need a studio, whole mm-hmm. thing. And now with your phone. Like you downloaded you, Anchor you, for free. You Now you can do it for free. I mean, I was looking at all these other platforms and then I'm like, I came across a show on here and what they're doing. And then I listened to a podcast on, I think it was Freakonomics again. And it was uh, the guy who created Spotify because I guess the, those guys, they own Anchor. Mm, and yeah. and they were talking about you know the, the invention of anchor and how it's changing things and and who knows how you know it basically dummy proofs everything for you. you can just go in and put in this and edit that and do that it, it makes producing things a lot easier and you could do it on your phone and i think that is incredible that there's things that maybe are making our lives better and we can do more things and then there's the destructive nature of it as well with it yeah it's hard to balance both those things but again goes back to that control and that discernment discretion discipline like so I always post a challenge of the week on my twitter my instagram for my my athletes my followers Mm -hmm. it's always something different and this week it is pick a time any time of of the evening that you wish and commit to for seven days putting your phone on airplane mode like not do not disturb airplane mode turn it off you don't need any messages it I, like I've been doing it at, at eight thirty most nights for the past week, ten o'clock if I have to. Yeah. Tonight I'll do it at nine thirty. Put it on airplane mode. Get in the bed. Do your night routine. Spend time with your friends and family. Um, be with your partner. Be present for once. Read a book. Who cares? Do something yeah. other than reading Instagram. 
and then don't turn airplane mode off until you've gotten out of it. All right. So you've been doing that online personal training thing. And I remember you saying that it's super intimate. Like you're literally in their ear for yeah. the, the entire 30 minutes. What do we need to change going forward with this whole social media age in our coach education is that becomes more the norm. Like, is it something that we need to change about our curriculum, our human development? Like what do we need to train and change for coaches so that they're prepared to be that up close and personal with somebody for 30 minutes when we live in a society that's like 15 <laughs> seconds and done. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure on the college level how much they could change that. You know, there's so much red tape, but on a just maybe a professional development, educational, continuing education conferences and stuff. I think that, you know, a curriculum based off of human development would be incredible. I think it's just, this sounds weird to say, but just teaching people how to be better human beings, how mm -hmm. to have good conversation with people, which, you know, it's funny when, when I was in Germany, I learned that a lot as a teenager, like when we would go to a restaurant, you know, we would be there for like four or five hours. Like it was just like, there was no rush. There was all this conversation, this discussion, very rich community um, of conversation. And I think we need to teach other human beings if they want to get into more of those intimate um, environments like that I'm doing with live online coaching, how to be good communicators, which mm -hmm. seems so obvious, but it's, it's very difficult to do to get on and have a conversation. It's much like this. This is very similar to me. Mm -hmm. You know, we're having a conversation. It's flowing. We're talking back and forth. We're asking each other questions. That's incredibly hard to do. Make no mistake. I've talked to literally thousands of people. And a lot of people are not great at that. They're mm -hmm. just not. And so, and sometimes it's just part of their personality and you maybe need a little bit more. I was never great at it. I did not come to the table being a very good conversationalist. It was not in my DNA growing up. I've had to work incredibly, incredibly hard at it. But I wanted to, I took, I had a therapist. I took basic counseling. I uh, took public speaking. I did everything I could to work on myself to become a better conversationalist so that I could be a better human being, but also that I could have a really good business working with people. So more courses related to interpersonal communication, counseling skills, uh, conflict management, trust, vulnerability, uh, understanding shame, courage, you know, you may tell somebody who <clears throat> about this and they'll go, why do you need to learn about that stuff? I'm like, that's called life. That's living. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I think just more life skills oriented based things would be incredible. What do you think we need to do to naturally experience more life? To naturally experience more life? Yeah. Um, like gather say, more life experience. I would say to not be afraid to take chances. I think, um, you know, it's interesting you ask that. Again, I go back to like listening to a lot of podcasts and uh, this, I'm not saying this is necessarily my political affiliation and may or may not be, but I listened to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a good speech by Andrew Yang, who was a presidential candidate in the United States mm -hmm. for uh, the 2020 election. He's not very well known, but uh, a lot of his policies are very innovative, um, very 
I would say progressive, uh, but a lot of solutions and stuff like that. And I really, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed kind of his point of view and just how, you know, people need to talk to each other more and to experience more life. You need to fail. You need to be okay with getting out there and experiencing life. You need to move from where you live, move, do mm-hmm. something different, experience a new state, a new country. Um, and a lot of what he's talking about is, is this universal basic income to help people to be able to move and experience life and to start a company to fail, to, to thrive. And I think to experience more life, you have to throw yourself into life a little more often. You can't be afraid or say, oh, my whole family grew up here. This is what we do. We just stay here. Like, no, you don't have to do that. You yeah. can do something else and not being afraid to do that. He's the one who believes that everybody just for being an American should get like $1,000 a month or something, right? Yes, okay. yes. I, I knew you knew about it. You're, you're so well informed about things. I got to know yeah. all the things. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing, I think, in the sense that um, I think it's a very controversial thing. Like if you hear it off the cuff, you're like, what? Why are you just giving people money? You know, like this and that. But there's a very good explanation behind it and how to pay for it and the whole thing. But in the sense that, you know, that people need assistance in a sense that if, if, if as a community, as a nation, we helped all of our people and to um, be a little better off, because in America, there's a huge wealth gap. It's gigantic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, how do we close that <clears throat> a little bit? Uh, you know, I, I just think it's interesting. But more than anything, I like his ideas about, you know, getting out there, start a business. <clears throat> it's OK if you do something and it sucks. And one of the things I love that he said, uh, he was on this, uh, I think this, this, this show, I can't remember what it's called, but the guy asked him, like, what's the hardest thing about starting your own business? Like, you have your own business, I have my own business. And he said, you know, I think the hardest thing is, you know, you're going to go many, many months where you don't feel like you're awesome. And nobody's telling you you're awesome. Your bank account's not telling you you're awesome. Your <laughs> income's not telling you're awesome. You just feel terrible. He's like, it just, you're going to go a long time with not feeling like you're doing what you've set out to do. Mm-hmm. You just have to stick with it. And I think that's part of the question is living more life is that too, understanding that life is not fun all the time. It's just not. It's, yeah, despite, it's hard. Despite what you may think. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I think we have this utopic sense of like, oh, you know, every, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And one of my... uh one of my clients is also a great friend of mine. She's a psychiatrist, you know, a clinical psychologist. She goes, life is hard and it is not easy all the time. And happiness is not a pill you take. Yeah. It's not 100%. just, you know, it's, it's, it, you've got to do the work. You better help create meaningful, help create a meaningful life, but make no mistake about it. It's hard. And I think genuinely, um, happiness is not the same for everybody. So we place an expectation of, you know, when I achieve this, when I achieve this, when I look like that, I'll be happy. But I want to know, like, do people even define what happiness is for them? Like when I was at my brokest, like when I lost my apartment, I was still Mm -hmm. choosing to be happy because I chose on Friday nights to go out with my friends and on Sundays to go out (laughs) and have a coffee, you know, just to be with my people, you know, not like to go party and wild. We didn't have any money. So yeah, like, when we were broke in college, I mean, we just wanted to be together and we ate damn like, um, what are they called? Lunchables. Like, um, you know, just to be together. And that was, you know, a glimpse of happiness for me. It was out on the soccer field. I just, 
that made my heart sing for me. Now it's, it's working with female athletes, especially young female athletes that truly genuinely makes me happy. And because I know it's my purpose, but when I look at like comparing my happiness to somebody else's, like I don't own a Mercedes. I probably never will genuinely speaking. Um, I don't travel the world more than once a year when I fly back to the States, do a couple other things here in Europe, but that's not my definition of happiness. I just want to come home and have a home and I want to go out and help people because yeah, that's, that's the mission. So I think if we fail to define personally what happiness is and then redefine failure, I think we're missing the point and wasting time. Yeah, I think so. I, I tell you one of, I don't know if you've read this book, you probably have because you're always <laughs> up to date on stuff, Julia. <laughs> but uh, one of my clients gave me the book, um, I think it's Man's Search for Meaning by mm-hmm. Victor Frankel. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, I knew it, man. I Look, know it. I put my phone on airplane mode. What else am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and I like, you know, I, I've never been a huge reader, but I've, I've gotten back into it. Um, and this was years ago, I read it and I said, man, if that guy can create meaning in his life after the atrocities he's been through and his family and you know wow like we all have meaning in our life we can we can create that in our life you just you have to want to you can't sit back and like oh look at that they have such a great life first of all you don't know that if that other person actually has a great life Mm -hmm. you're seeing a very small portion through the lens that's tiny little little pigeonhole that you see of somebody's life on social media or what they are on TV and stuff like that. Yeah, I have no, you have no clue about their dark moments and their moments alone and, and what they're struggling with for that. So you better create that for yourself because you're not going to get it through these other people and what you think happiness is in their life. Yeah, maybe because we're on the topic, if you don't mind me going a little bit deeper and maybe a little slightly personal. Um, yeah. I used to think my life was atrociously hard as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> like. I'm not happy, da, 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 depressed, this, yeah. that, the other thing. And in 2014, I, on Valentine's Day, 2014, I lost my best friend in a drunk driving accident. Right. Um, and I woke up to a horrific call that, you know, he had died in the middle of the night. Um, and I was just looking at basically 20 years of my life uh, of memories. And it kind of, well, it completely redefined for me what's happiness. Because now it, it changed the perspective from, you know, these tiny little things that will not matter in 10 days, let alone in one year, let alone in five years, let alone in a decade. <laughs> I'll never remember them when I'm retired. I let these things change how I decide to live and how I decide to feel and how I put meaning on things. Um, and especially with how I communicate with like my people and with my athletes, with my staff, like I was letting the smallest things totally throw me off and it completely flipped around like, I have to honor somebody's life now with mine. So it's not only my duty to like, yeah, be that disciplined achieving person, but like to be happy as well because I'm carrying on legacy essentially and life's short. Like I want to enjoy it while it lasts. So I think when we have that life experience, it completely, I mean, it's definitely not always pretty when we do. It takes a lot of therapy and a lot of work. Um, Yeah. But when we have that life experience, we come out with the coping mechanisms to be like, and the perspective to be like, hey, that stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> like, this is, it's the people that matter. It's the conversations. It's not the jobs. See, now we're back where we started. It's not about the job board. It's the conversations that you have with people because that's what you'll remember and not whether or not that person worked at that or that club. Nobody cares about that. 
nobody cares about that. It is the conversations. And I think it's ironic that we're in an age where we can have, we have the ability to have conversations with almost anybody and we're not doing it. And I was telling, um, uh, I had a really good phone call yesterday with, uh, a young lady was a basketball player. And I think mm-hmm. I connected you to her on, on a thing, but she's awesome. And she's, I, she, I think you guys are similar in age, but um, she kind of had that whole thing. She's like, yeah, I want to go out. I want to meet people. I want to see what they're about. I was like, you got the gift early now. Yeah. now what you do with it is going to be really important with that. But it's, you know, I told her, I said, you realize like I'm in Blaine, Washington. I'm at the edge of the earth here in the United States, literally. Mm-hmm. And then you're in uh, on the East Coast of the United States. I said, without us connecting on LinkedIn, I would have never known that you existed ever. Yeah. More than likely. Without uh, LinkedIn, I would have never known, Julia, that you existed. Mm-hmm. Right. There was just we would have had this whole life where we weren't even aware that we existed on the planet. And yeah. there's something beautiful about that. So for me, when I, I take that chance, I go, man, I, okay, I know somebody from Germany, uh, somebody from Australia, from Singapore, you know, from uh, Lithuania, whatever it is. I want to talk to those, that person. Mm-hmm. I want to know what their life is like. How can I be a part of their life and encourage them, however little or big they would like that. But I think it, it always comes back to the conversation. And I think we have to... And I think the life experience does that as well To, Well, you definitely have a choice whether or not you want to be open when you have life experience like that, especially, you know, the tough love kind of experiences. Yeah. If you want to be open or if you want to shut down for me, I wanted to be open. Like I want to learn more. I want to ask questions. And if, if I'm told an answer I don't like or an answer that's wrong or something that's against me, that's why like, I want to talk about race. I want to talk about diversity. Yeah. I want to talk about like, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing right in the education system? Like the hard stuff, because those are the conversations that matter. And then what I take away from that was, okay, let me readjust this because clearly I'm off or this added to me, blah, blah, blah. And instead of being closed off and defensive, like, I think the education system is part, like, what? <laughs> like, no, right. you can choose to be open or closed. When you go have a conversation with somebody, do it because you're open to and you want to learn something. Um, and then my thing is always try to offer them value um, or yeah. ask if you can afterwards because you're taking somebody's time and you're taking a learning experience away from them. So if I can offer value um, in return, that's the least I could do. Well, I think that's, that's a big part of, of networking is offering value. But for, you know, for some people, maybe a lot of people is they don't know how to, they don't know what their value is or how to offer it. And yeah. sometimes they think, well, I have to be this, this big wig, or I have to have accomplished all these things to create value with the people that I connect with. And that's something I, I never think about, honestly. I just think, you know what? Being good to another person is tremendous value. Mm-hmm. And that if you can just do the simple things, have manners, have etiquette, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just be honest with people, I think you'll provide tremendous value in their life. And you just got to be willing to want to pick up the phone. You know, when I was connecting uh, Lauren, who you chat with yesterday, she goes, should I ask all of these people to have a conversation with them? I said, yes, mm-hmm. ask every one of them. I would love to speak with you. And you know what? If they don't get back to you about having a conversation, that has nothing to do with you. It says everything about them. 
and yep. they need to follow through. You, you're doing the work. All you can do is control your behavior, how you're presenting yourself. And, and the wonderful thing is when two people do that together and they're hungry about talking to each other, something amazing, amazing happens. And it's so true. It's so true, right? You, you just, you start having these amazing, wonderful things. I always tell people, anytime I talk to somebody, something magical happens. I can't tell you what that is half the time, but yeah. there's something magical that is, that is stirring in the background. You know, Julia, you and I, I mean, we're happy. This is our second time talking very similar things. I don't know what's going to come of this, but I believe something will. There's something stirring right now. Who knows? Definitely. I don't know, but I want to explore it. That's the point, you know? Yeah. And when we talked the first time, we talked for what, two hours straight? Yeah, it was two like, hours. Yeah. Laughed the whole time, had a grip, went in every direction. I mean, you know, when you click with somebody and for me, it's like the two heads are better than one. You know, you get to speak out loud with somebody who has a totally different idea and set of experiences than you. Like use that to your advantage. There's something for you to learn. Yeah, um, totally. And agree. after after 2014, I don't know if you guys know who or you or your listeners know who Lewis York is, but they're um, uh, basically a musical group. They've written for Rihanna, Beyonce, everybody, blah, blah, blah. But they famous quote by them is, um, if you're alive, there's something for you to learn. So check your pulse really quick. And if your heart's beating, then go ask somebody you respect to have a conversation with them and then listen <laughs> and learn from them. Yeah, and... I totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that was one of the things I wanted you to have you on because I, one, uh, you know, you're just, you're, you're a very dynamic person. You're very goal oriented. You get things done. You're very, you're very German punctual, as we know. <laughs> uh, we started early this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We started, guys, we started early. You know, I said for 11 o'clock and I was like, no, uh, and I'll, you know, again, I like to go inside kind of the behind the scenes. And one of the things I wanted for this podcast is just for it to be free flowing kind of behind the scenes and stuff like we had it set for 11 my time. And, uh, you know, I'm texting Julia on WhatsApp like, all right, we're going to be ready in 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, it's game day. We're going to hit this hard, you know. She's like, oh, I'm ready now. I'm ready whenever you're ready. I'm like, OK, I'm ready now, too. I'm ready. Send me the link. Send it to me now. I'm ready. Let's not mess around here anymore, you know. And, uh, well, that, I have I have my athlete block schedule, so you know I blocked it out 15 minutes in advance. So I can yeah, make sure my yeah. mic works. <laughs> That's right, exactly right. And so uh, it's just when you take the time to speak with people. That's what the show is about. The social network is, you know, I want to invite you into my social network. I mean, there's amazing people. Julia is the tip of the iceberg on this. <laughs> she is, but she's the beginning. Episode one. She's the good. She's the she's the tip of the iceberg, man. I'm telling you, and it's gonna start to show up right. It's gonna be a big bang all over the internet because Julie's on here, and then you're gonna you're <laughs> gonna see the rest of the people. There's some pretty amazing people with amazing experiences, and 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 what I love, I love a good comeback story. I don't know about you, Julia, but I love a mm-hmm. good comeback story. And yep. uh, man, we got some serious comeback stories for you that are going to blow your mind. I'm talking about like on the edge of death and coming back with a yeah. lot of people. And um, those stories have to be told. You know, I have a guy coming on who he, he, he almost died. Literally. I mean, he had a terrible diagnosis. Um, he's going to be on the show tomorrow and he survived from a, a, a brain tumor. He had a brain tumor. Guy had wow. brain cancer. He survived it. He survived yeah. it. And he goes, Oh, I don't, you know, I never thought about telling this story to other people. It's just my story. I said, no, your story is a story of hope. 
everybody needs to hear that story. So it's going to be on the podcast. We're going to talk about it. You know, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so amazing. Hopefully, it has a better ending than Game of Thrones. But <laughs> well, listen, we're coming back to Game of Thrones, and uh, again, a show I've never watched. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, I was watching Ben Stiller on a on a show one time, and he was, and they were telling asking him about Game of Thrones. I think it was like four seasons in. He goes, mm-hmm. you know, there just comes a point in a show where you just got to say, I'm never watching this. I can't commit <laughs> to three, four seasons yeah. of this and binge. I just don't have the time. And that's what happened to me. I was like, you know, I, it's like six seasons. And I, you know, I. Especially since all the episodes are like an hour long and there's 12 episodes per season. It's like, right. I don't have any respect for this. <laughs> how much, how, I mean, can you imagine how much you have to devote to your life to binge that show? I mean. Like... Yes. I was in bed for 10 days. It's all like <laughs> 10 days. <laughs> like... <laughs> It was too much. Um, uh, you know, I can't talk. I binged like watch. This was old school back when I used to like tape things on VCR. I like what's binge- that? What? Never mind. <laughs> okay, you guys, most of you listening, unless you're mine, you don't even know what that is. Uh, but I binge watched The Real World, which was like the first reality TV show. I like ten hours straight. I laid on my floor in college and watched it, and then just went to bed at night. I didn't move almost the entire day. It's amazing. That was like the first used- binge watching. When I first got to college, I binge watched all of the Golden Girls. Oh man, series. I so, love that show. Oh, dope! Love so, that show. My wife so. is like the biggest Golden Girls fan. She got the DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what's the DVD now, right? But uh, but like we, <laughs> I've seen literally every episode of Golden Girls, and it's so. And I used to watch it when I was a kid, and then I watched it as an adult. It was even better. It's even better because you understand you understand <laughs> the adult humor. Like, okay, that wasn't just petty. That was also. <laughs> yeah, no. It was like, wow. Yeah. It's like, and, you know, Blanche Devereaux and her over sexualized ways. And stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> this is hilarious, man. You know, there's older women and, you know, all the, the tough times, the good times. The show was kind of a microcosm just for life in general. It's fun. It's happy. It's sad. It's, you know, it's watching Game of Thrones, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> It's a trash show. Don't watch it. I'm never going to watch I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm never going to watch it. So if it's like your favorite show, maybe this isn't the podcast for you to listen to. I don't know, man. (laughs) This is the game of phones, okay? This This is is game of phones. And if you do game of phones, you will have an amazing life because you'll you'll meet some amazing people. Well, I want to thank you, Julia, for coming on the show. And uh, you can be assured this will not be her last appearance. I promise you. (laughs) It's always an honor. And if I could end by saying one more thing that my cousin told me in this series of, of his mean quotes, he said, yeah, it's not about the jobs. It's about the conversation. Always come in offering value or offer it at the end. Then he said, sometimes people won't take you up on that value. So the value that you have to give them is you got to pay it forward, which is exactly what you're doing. Darian with this show is basically, you know, having conversations, sharing people's stories, but I hope that the listeners will not only listen to this podcast, obviously want to have conversations with you and want to join the podcast as well, et cetera, et cetera, but that they'll go out and start conversations with other people, enjoy having two heads instead of one for a couple of minutes, learn something and then give value to somebody else. Um, Cause everybody's story is important and we can all learn something from somebody's, from somebody's background, from somebody's story. Um, it's a gift to be able to spend some time with somebody who has a different set of experiences and opinions than you. Um, and it would be a shame to waste that immense value um, that the weight of that time and that energy and those words. Um, yeah, go do it. 
Go do it. Well, well said, Julia. And uh, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this podcast with Julia. And like I said, we'll not be here last time. And honestly, probably next time we're going to start off the show with Julia. We're going to do a shot together. <laughs> I'm all about yeah. it, man. You know, I know oh, yeah, we are. don't really drink Jaeger. It's nice. It's like Rutaburger and all that stuff. But <laughs> I'm going to do a Jaeger shot. She'll do something. I don't know. I'll, I'll throw a Jaeger for you. All right. She's going to do a Jaeger for me. And we're going to start off the show. Because, you know, I don't know. It's just what I like to do. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, make sure you check out the show on the Anchor Podcasts or a variety of different uh, outlets that it's on. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio, 194, Roger. I, it sounds like a call sign here. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it's on a whole bunch of platforms. And uh, we're just getting started. But um, I'm sure it's going to be an awesome adventure Julia, thank you again, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you so much, Dr. D. It's always, always, always a pleasure, and I look forward to kicking off your Vegas trip with a little, a little tailgating American style. Yeah, Skype. all right. <laughs> cool, thanks. We'll talk next time. All right, cheers, mate. Looking all forward right, to it cheers. already.